Your kingdom come in my world and in my life. Give me the food I need to live through the day. And forgive me as I forgive the people that wrong me. Leave me far from temptation.
Sing this with my mouth, I will tell. With my mouth, I will tell of your faithfulness. I'll declare, Lord, your covenant with my life. With my mouth.
morning and welcome to Hope Chapel. We are so glad that you're here this morning. <clears throat> I see a, a lot of new faces today and I'm really glad to have you here with us. Uh, thanks for visiting. If you would like to know more about Hope Chapel or have questions or just um, would like to connect with somebody on staff, we would love to do that. And the easiest way is just to use that uh, connect card that's in the seat somewhere around you. Um, or actually on that card, there's a QR code. You can use that and connect with us that way. As we uh, begin our worship this morning, uh, a, um, a quote from Andrew Murray, the South African pastor from the kind of late 19th century, uh, I think gives us a, a great um, image, picture of what it means for us to come to worship, what we actually do when we come, and what uh, God does. So I want to read this to you before we have our call to worship. He wrote that the root of all virtue and grace of all faith and acceptable worship is that we know that we have nothing but what uh, but what we receive. Uh, so the root of all acceptable worship is that we know that we bring nothing but only uh, understand what we receive. And that is actually the heart of the call to worship, which is that we don't come into a Sunday morning gathering like this, um, kind of trying to tally up whether we've done enough this week, uh, whether we've kind of stayed away from the things we should have and done the right things and whether that will make our sort of engagement with the Lord acceptable this morning. But actually the call to worship tells us that even our worship is initiated by the Lord's grace. And so as we begin our worship this morning, he is the one who actually calls us to do that. And we're going to hear that call to worship this morning from first Chronicles 16. So let's read uh, responsively here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. <clears throat> Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And we will do that together.
often I like to think about the um, glory and greatness and holiness of God, um, and lots of others have said this as sort of a mirror, and so that when we, when we um, turn our gaze toward it, we see something more clearly of who we are. And so I'm going to turn to a confession of sin this morning and read this together as we recognize and name our own brokenness and our own need um, for the grace of the Lord. Creator God, we confess our tendency to chase after idols. We may not bow down before images of gold, silver, and wood, yet our heart's inclination is fundamentally the same. We replace creator with creation and look for life, meaning, and joy in temporary things. Forgive us, redeem us, cause us to worship only you, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's take a moment in silent confession. thinking about Psalm 36, this um, uh, words of forgiveness that we have uh, earlier this week and, and just Googled the uh, uh, like images of birds, mother birds, um, sheltering their chicks. And just watch this one, one video of a hen in a rainstorm just with her wings out and all these chicks underneath um, just staying dry from the wind and the rain. And this imagery is here, and it's actually in other places in Scripture, too, of God um, cr creating shelter in, in this kind of way. And so as we think about these words of forgiveness um, of God, um, seeing the, uh, the need that we have, and actually just extending that sort of shelter to us and life to us, um, let's, let's, let's let that soak in a bit as we hear these words. How precious is your steadfast love, O oh God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. <clears throat> they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So be encouraged this morning, even as we confess that we have hearts that are bent on um, idolatry in some ways, of, of looking for meaning in lots of different things, here, we're reminded that um, the river of delight, the fountain of life, the, the light of all lights is offered to us in Jesus. Um, so be encouraged by that this morning. I want to invite you to stand uh, to greet one another, extend the peace of Jesus to each other this morning.
worshipers will come forward and take our tithes and offerings as we see us. One in himself, one in himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior. seed in our kids K through five you may be dismissed <clears throat> into our children's programs. 
As we continue to worship, we will go to the Lord in prayer for the world and our city and our church. And at the end of each section, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you're invited to participate with the response of hear our prayers. So let's go to the Lord together. In Psalm 89:14, the author reminds us that righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne, Lord. Love and faithfulness go before you. Thank you for people all around our world who reflect these character traits and how you are moving through them to impact others for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We think of lawmakers, judges, those serving in organizations to stop trafficking of people, national leaders, teachers, medical staff, missionaries, parents and grandparents, social workers, and so many others. Would your light in them overcome and dispel the darkness of the evil one in this world? We ask that because of your love and faithfulness that you would provide a break in this summer weather where temperatures are soaring to record highs and rains are flooding in South Korea and our, even our northern states. You are the God who can still the stormy waves of the ocean and make the sun stand in its place. So we ask for mercy and restoration of the climate around the world. We continue to ask you for an end to the war in Ukraine, to civil wars in places like Somali, Southern Sudan, Afghanistan, and Syria, and drug wars like in Mexico. We long for your banner of peace to wave over your people who have been traumatized by such conflict. Lord, in your mercy. We are so very grateful for this city of Greensboro. You are flourishing her and giving us the gifts of the splash pad, movies in the park, grasshopper baseball team games, farmer markets. Thank you for so many offerings and help us to be good stewards of our beloved city. We pray for our city workers, those who mow along our streets, trash and recycling workers, park staff, first responders, DSS workers, and even city inspectors. Would you bless the work of their hands, their families, and their time for work and play? May we, as members of this community, appreciate and affirm them, pay them fair wages, and look for ways to support them as they care for Greensboro. Thank you, Father, for the family room as they provide care and resources for foster children in our city. Would you move in the people of Greensboro to provide the resources needed as they care and equip foster families and children who are moving into unknown situations? We ask for more safe and healthy foster parents to come forward so that no child in need is without care. And we ask for more volunteers to meet the demands of staffing this, this organization. We thank you for Carrie and her vision, for the board members and other staff. Would you encourage each of them in unique ways this week as they serve children in need in our community? Lord, in your mercy. And for your bride, Hope Chapel, we say thank you. We give you all the glory for how you have sustained and grown us over the past 15 years. Thank you that even as we have missed the mark of restoration and renewal, 
You have been faithful and filled in the gaps of our humanity. You have been steadfast in our midst and continue to work in us that we might proclaim and live out your goodness, righteousness, love, and faithfulness to one another, this city, and the world. What grace that is, Father. We ask for more of you, for deeper intimacy with you, and for more opportunities to make much of Jesus. There are some among us who are hurting and grieving, which means we all hurt and grieve alongside of them. Specifically, we pray for the Holbrook family in the death of Janet's mom, Harrison's grandmother, and for Molly Scarborough and family in the death of her dad. Would you comfort them in their earthly loss of such dear ones and remind them in the quiet places of their hearts that you are with them in grief, even as you are celebrating the gain in eternity. For others among us who are suffering, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, we cry out for your healing, your nearness, and wisdom for their situations. And still others, Lord, among us celebrate, and we join with them with songs of hallelujah. And specifically, we celebrate with Maria and Mario Garza in the birth of their son, Nico. Would you be near them in these early days filled with feedings, diaper changes, and maybe less sleep? Stretch their energy and help them to store up these early memories in their hearts. And lastly, Father, we thank you for the many talented musicians and vocalists that you have gifted Hope Chapel with. Each week they plan and rehearse, practice, so that they might lead us into your presence through music and to praise your holy name. May they know your delight and our appreciation, and may their worship of you be all the sweeter as they lead us to worship in spirit and truth. Lord, in your mercy. And as we turn to your word, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to rest and fill Jim as he brings the word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill each of us and transform us because your word is like a double-edged sword cutting to the deepest marrow. And we need you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is from the last chapter of Acts, Acts 28, verses 16 through 31. You can follow along in your Bible or your bulletin. Verse 16, when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was handed over to the Romans as a prisoner from Jerusalem. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there were no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, since I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel." They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor has any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For regarding this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God 
and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things said by Paul, but others would not believe. And when they disagreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul said one parting statement. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing and will not understand, and you will keep on seeing and will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have become insensitive, and with their ears they hardly hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. Now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. Uh, lots of new faces here today, so, or at least new to me. Uh, so I will tell you what it says in the bulletin. I'm, a, I'm Jim Osborne. I'm a practicing physician here in Greensboro. Uh, Michael, you're going to have to change that soon. I will be a practicing physician for 76 more days, but I'm not counting. Um, and I do have one more. Don't change it yet, though, because I got one more sermon before I retire from practice. Um, to quote the Who's in one of my favorite stories, Horton, here's a Who, we are here, we are here, we are here. <laughs> Indeed, we are here at the end of the book of Acts. 27 sermons since January 1 have we presented and you've listened to. God bless you. A lot's happened in the world in that six months. A lot's happened in the life of our church during that time. I suspect a lot's happened in your life as well. Some of you have new lives among you. And a lot happened in the early church, didn't it, in those early years? We've been tracing what has happened to the leaders of the early church as they preached Jesus and the kingdom of God. And we've seen hints at the spread of the gospel beyond the work of those leaders, and what we've seen is that God has been faithful to his ancient promise that salvation was to come to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. As far back as Genesis, God promised that he would bless all people in all nations, Genesis 15, 5, and he, God, took him, Abraham, outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. He repeated it in Isaiah, prophetically stating in chapter 25, verses 6, 6 through 8. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away, will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Moreover, this ancient promise was to come to the Gentiles through Israel. 
Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Notice, God is saying, it's too trivial for me just to save Israel. He says, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, as a Gentile, all I can say is praise the Lord. Otherwise, all of us, most of us here are Gentile, would be dead in our trespasses and sins and ultimately without hope. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time in our passage reflecting on a couple of things we could consider for our lives, but I also want to reflect a little bit on the entire book of Acts for a few minutes, and I'm going to also set the stage for the next half of the year. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this book of Acts that we've been able to work our way through. Thank you for your faithfulness to the church, to your people, to us. And Lord, may we learn and um, apply what we learn uh, today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our text starts with Paul entering Rome. As Harrison pointed out last week, as far back as Acts 19, Paul has said, I'm going to go to Rome. But his arrival there is not only his decision, it's also the fulfillment of promises that God made to Paul. In Acts 23, 11, when he was initially imprisoned in Jerusalem, but uh, it says on that night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. And later in Acts 27, 24, as Paul and others were facing shipwreck, an angelic messenger came to Paul and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Now really, how must Paul have said, felt, though in chains, to know that he was exactly where God intended for him to be? So then Paul quickly gathers the Jewish leaders to meet and tells them he's been imprisoned and sent to Rome because of the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders in Rome don't know anything about it. They have, as it states, neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. Why would that be? Well, it could be because, you know, Paul kind of took the first ship out that year. All right. We heard about that. Well, in fact, he probably took too early a ship out, um, as we heard last week. But some people wonder whether the, the leaders in Jerusalem were just kind of like, we're not going to say anything. We'll let Paul go to Rome and let him deal with it. Because the Romans didn't like you very much if you brought a charge against a, Rome, a Roman citizen and it proved to be false. They were sometimes pretty harsh on those people. So maybe that's why they didn't know. But in any event, the Jewish leaders in Rome didn't know anything about it. They are aware, on the other hand, of those who follow Jesus. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for, this, for concerning this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. <clears throat> now, I commented in an earlier sermon on the conflict in Rome that was already existing between Jews and Christians. And that, that conflict actually led to the expulsion of Priscilla and Aquila, you might remember. And they came from Rome and they landed in Ephesus and that's where they met Paul and ministered to him and ministered with him. Now, the Jewish leaders may or may not have understood how prominent Paul was in this sect, but they do seem to be aware of his Jewish background and training, and they want to hear what he thinks about this sect. So Paul spends a whole day talking to him about how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. 
And this has always been his habit in the synagogue, talking about how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Why doesn't he go to the synagogue? Well, he's got this Roman soldier chained to him. He's got a Gentile chained to him. He can't go to the synagogue. So he asks them to come to him, and they do, but the content's going to be the same. Now, what's pretty interesting to me is that unlike every other time in the synagogues where Paul taught about Jesus, there's no riot. I think that's interesting. It says some were persuaded, some were not. It says they couldn't agree. They had a great dispute among themselves, but there was no riot. Perhaps they had learned their lessons from the previous conflicts and expulsions that had occurred. And perhaps they enjoyed living in Rome and they didn't really want to be sent away to Ephesus and to the backwaters of the kingdom. But there was, but whether, but there was disagreement and there was no riot. And the book of Acts closes with these two verses. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Now that last word's very interesting, unhindered. It's actually a legal term. And it means that despite being in house arrest, he had no official or legal impediments or restraints to his preaching or teaching. So he could welcome, which he did. He preached and taught openly. He welcomed them all. Everyone who wanted to come to hear about Jesus, he welcomed regardless of their background and their prior beliefs. So what can we learn from this? Well, I think the first thing we learn is perseverance. Despite all the hardships, the threats, the attacks, verbal and physical, the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, the beatings, The fear at times for his very life, Paul persevered all the way to Rome. So the lesson here for us as God's people is that we should persevere in all areas and circumstances in which we are called and in which we find ourselves. But it begs the question, how is it that Paul persevered? How did he cope with the stress and difficulties of his calling and his life? And if I had to put one word on it, I think I would put the word shalom. He had shalom. Now that word, you've heard it a lot this last six months as we've been focusing on it this year. Um, It's a focus for us as a church. Shalom is peace. Kind of odd to say that this guy getting attacked has peace. But it's that peace, that perfect peace that will exist when everything is true and right in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's that peace in which we get to partake of as followers of Jesus now, as a foretaste of things to come. Paul seemed to have cultivated, and he certainly possessed, an inner peace, an inner shalom that expressed itself outwardly in spreading shalom as he did. And we've all commented on this from the pulpit several times. He was always calm. He had high respect for everyone around him, despite the threats, the attacks, the imprisonments. And I believe it's this inner peace that helped him persevere. So how did he possess this peace? How did he possess such shalom? Well, we can find out a little bit of that from his writings in Philippians. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The path to peace involves rejoicing, understanding that the Lord is near, being anxious about nothing, praying and asking with thanksgiving, dwelling on good things and not the bad, and practicing it all, doing it over and over again, because these things don't come naturally to us. Maybe we should go through that list again a little more slowly. Rejoicing. Do we always rejoice? I don't. I tend to want to complain about this and that. Just ask my wife. I most often complain about things over which I have no control. Don't really complain about myself very much. <laughs> uh, don't ask her that either, okay? Uh, but I most often think, uh, complain about things about which I have no control. And it, you know, it's really hard to rejoice when you're a complainer. And maybe when we're complaining, we should pause and think of something we can rejoice over. I can hear the next words coming from Nanette's mouth when I come home, complaining of a day at work, and she should do that. Understanding the Lord is near. Do we really live our lives as though God is right next to us? Because He is. I don't think and live that way. We're, we're literally living before the face of God. We should remind ourselves of that every day, and we probably ought to remind ourselves about it a whole lot every day. Being anxious about nothing. Remember what Harrison told us last week, God is in control of all things. Do we live like we know that? I don't. I will tell you and preach a great sermon about God being in control of all things, but the way I think and act in my everyday interactions pretty much shows that I think everything is up to me. I think the phrase Harrison used last week is that it's exhausting. And it is. Pray and ask with thanksgiving. Do we do that daily? I got one right, okay? I do that. At least I do that. Dwell on good things, not the bad. It's a little bit related to complaining and anxiousness, but dwell on good things, not the bad. Do we do this, or are we most likely to dwell on the bad things around it? Part of that is rejoicing, as I said, dwelling on those good things. But there's, and there's so much good. There's so many good things going on around us. Yet, what do we usually write about and read about on social media? I, I know, y'all are thinking, Jim's talking about social media again. I promise I'm not an old fuddy-duddy. I am old. Okay, I can't promise I'm not old. Okay, I'm not completely a fuddy-duddy, but... But I'm very concerned about what people write and what we write sometimes and what people read. Um, I'm, a, I'm a physician that practices sleep medicine. I tell people, you know, everybody says, don't look at your phone at night. I'm less worried about the blue light from your phone than the content of what you're reading. It's highly likely to upset you one way or another. People write things that are not good. It makes them angry. It makes me angry. Frankly, I don't read them anymore, so if you're not careful about your approach to all this, 
You're going to be dwelling on the bad things and not the good things. We need a good thing page. So all of this we're supposed to practice. We're supposed to practice it rejoicing, remembering that God is near, being anxious about nothing, praying, dwelling on the good things. Practice because it doesn't come naturally, and we need to do this every day. And look what happens when we do it. The peace of God will guard you, in verse 7 it says, and in verse 9 it says, the God of peace will be with you. Wouldn't that be great? Paul goes on to write in Philippians 4, 10 through 12, the subsequent two verses, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So this brings out two other things that gives Paul's peace relationships, and contentment. In several of his letters, and occasionally in Acts, we see references to the joy that Paul got from his life with others. In verse 10 just, uh, that I just read from Philippians, uh, he rejoiced because their relationship had been resumed. It hadn't been bad, it had been good, but it had just kind of fallen away, and now it had resumed, so he was pleased with that. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul describes his affections for the Thessalonians. And remember in Acts 20 and 21, when Paul was departing from those whom he had served and whom he had served with, it was always accompanied with great weeping. And this is a reflection of the deep community and relationships he had with other people. And here I can't help but think about some of the sermons that Jake has given us where he talks about practicing presence. Just being with people in their lives, their messiness, their joy, their disappointments and grief, everything. I sometimes think that that we, we think of Paul only as this great evangelist going from place to place in the ancient world, unafraid to preach and stir up a hornet's nest, and we think we're supposed to do the same thing. But the operative word of what I just said is only. We think of Paul only as a great evangelist going from place to place in the ancient world, unafraid to create a commotion. But there's been much more to Paul's life. Much more of his life is contained in words that aren't even written. Much more of his life, we see fleeting references to relationship, affection, weeping. And that is how Paul lived among them. He lived among them in a powerful way. And my suspicion is that Paul lived among them with peace, and it powerfully affected them. They learned peace from Paul and lived out that peace with him, their peace promoting his peace, his peace promoting their peace. Isn't it more pleasant for you to be around with somebody living with and promoting peace? And Paul had contentment. Again, Harrison told us last week about at least one thing that helped Paul practice contentment, his knowledge of God's providence. He understood and knew the providence of God. He understood and knew that God was in control, and he did not worry. And when you combine understanding the providence of God with understanding the nearness of God, that brings contentment. Community and contentment help Paul understand the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding. And as a result, Paul's inward peace presents itself as peace outwardly, as shalom outwardly. Not only was the content of what he believed and taught that which actually brings shalom, but the way in which he lived, preached, and evangelized and taught is thoroughly steeped in shalom, the style and mode of his life, actions, and words confirming that which was within him. And Paul persevered. So perseverance for Paul and for us comes from cultivating and experiencing shalom. And shalom comes from practicing joy, prayer, dwelling on the good, contentment, and community. Let's practice those things. Very, very briefly, there's another thing that we can learn from our pastors today. We should be preaching and teaching openly, for we can in our culture, like Paul. We can do it unhindered by law. Not everyone in the world today has that privilege or opportunity, but we do. And as all of us on the preaching team have said several times in this series and in various ways, in our relationships with others and with respect at the right time, we should not fail to remember and tell others about the hope that is within us. And so the book of Acts ends. Do you ever think it's kind of an abrupt ending? Do you ever think, what happened to Paul? Well, let's think about the second question first. What happened to Paul? The short answer is we have no biblical knowledge of what happened to Paul. Early church tradition indicates that Paul was released and had further public ministry. The third bishop of Rome was a man named Clement. Uh, this could be the Clement that's uh, referenced in another place in Philippians 4. And Clement wrote that Paul reached the limits of the West, probably meaning the regions that are now Spain. The earliest church historian, a man named Eusebius, wrote in the 4th century. And he summarized this early tradition by writing, After defending himself, the apostle was again sent on the ministry of preaching, and coming a second time to the same city, suffered martyrdom under Nero. Eusebius went on to insist that Paul's martyrdom was not accomplished during the sojourn in Rome, which Luke describes. Now, later historians don't all agree with Eusebius. They don't, think, they don't all think his account's correct, so we're just really not sure. But as to the first question, isn't it kind of an abrupt ending? It all depends. It all depends. If you think Acts is some type of biography of Paul, and I have to say since Acts 13, it certainly has seemed like a biography of Paul. It's about his travels, his ministry, his trials. If you think of Acts as a biography of Paul, then yes, the book does kind of end abruptly. But that's probably not Luke's purpose in writing the book of Acts. What can we learn from Luke about Luke's purpose in writing Acts? Remember, Acts is one of two books that Luke wrote, the first one called Luke. The Gospel of Luke starts with, inasmuch as many things have under, uh, sorry, as inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. 
so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke wants to teach Theophilus the exact truth about the word, about the gospel, and that was handed down to him by those who are eyewitnesses and servants of Jesus. Acts then starts, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To those he also prevented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Here Luke adds, Jesus spoke of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And Luke repeats this theme of the kingdom of God at key points in the book of Acts. It's referenced in chapters 8, 12, 19, and 20, and finally today in chapter 28. Paul solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus. This is really the purpose of the book of Acts to describe the rise and spread of the gospel and the kingdom of God as it goes out throughout the world. Now, this is not to take away from what Harrison said last week, where he said the one overall story of Acts is that nothing can stop the sovereign plan of God. That's absolutely true. No storm within or without the church can thwart God's plan. But this amplifies what he said last week, because it was and is God's plan to have the gospel and the kingdom of God spread throughout the world. And if this is Luke's purpose in writing the book of Acts, then the ending is not abrupt. It does not leave us hanging. It simply points to the future. Because there is no end to God's plan to preach the kingdom of God and teach concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are the continuing story of the book of Acts. Cultivating shalom inwardly so that we will persevere and live with shalom and spread shalom outwardly as we preach and share the kingdom of God and teach and practice the love of Jesus with those around us. We can take a deep breath. We did it. We are here. The end of the book of Acts. I'm going to give you a little hint about what's coming in the rest of the year. We're going to continue to explore shalom. We're going to start in the Beatitudes where we're going to explore further what shalom means in this upside down world. Shalom does not belong to the rich, the happy-go-lucky, the powerful, that's simply the promise of our culture and of living lives in the first world. If we just do this or that, if we just have this or that, we will have happiness and peace. The Beatitudes will disabuse us of those notions. We'll then move on to a season studying some of the Proverbs. There we hope to learn more skills in cultivating shalom internally and externally as we live with the craziness and sometimes the wickedness that surrounds us. And then we will have Advent. You know, it's not just the Hallmark Channel that thinks about Christmas in July. <laughs> but in Advent, we will remember that we are awaiting that full shalom 
the new heavens and the new earth that God will someday bring into existence. For now, though, let's persevere. Let's cultivate peace by practicing joy, prayer, dwelling on the good, contentment, and community. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Jim talked about that peace that Paul had that we saw as he went throughout many different sufferings, but was rejoicing in the midst of those. And um, that peace, the kingdom of God, went forward unhindered and has come all the way across the ocean uh, to North America and to here at Hope Chapel. Um, and that peace is, is what's on offer when we consider coming to the table uh, and uh, participating in the body and blood of Jesus. Um, it's, a, it's a peace that surpasses understanding. That's a gift that can be given to us from God alone. Um, and so do you want that peace today? Uh, one, one hope of Jesus, uh, one goal of his is to remove all the hindrances between you and receiving that peace. Um, in this table, we remember also him removing the biggest hindrance, which was your sin. Uh, you're in my sin. Uh, he removed by taking the punishment for us. So um, let's uh, stand together and declare what we believe and prepare to come. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You all may be seated. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples, having given thanks. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup, representing the new covenant, the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. He said, take, drink. Do this in remembrance of me. This table doesn't belong to me or Hope Chapel or um, Jim. Uh, this is a table that belongs to Jesus and it's set for all those who profess faith in him. If you're with us today and you don't yet profess faith in Jesus, we're glad you're here. But we ask at this time that you remain seated and instead meditate on one of the prayers in your bulletin. This is one of the things we do. That's for Christians only. Um, 
But uh, for those who are partaking, so what we do is you come forward as you feel led um, and partake of the bread up here and then hold on to your cup, which is a sign of unity. We'll partake together. Um, and sometimes we end up going in rows. Uh, and so you can come forward as you feel led or you can wait until your seems like your row's going. So it's kind of a you know, organization without organization kind of deal. Um, there are also folks in the, in the lobby that can pray for you as, uh, as you need. And also those who are assisting can come forward now to prepare the, the bread and, cu- and the cups. Um, so they can pray for you. Um, and then we're going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come forward now. And as they come forward and receive their communion, we'll have a time of silence to prepare our hearts to come to the table.
Stand with me. Jesus took the cup, representing the new covenant, the forgiveness of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he said, take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, since the Lord has fed us at his table, 
Let us praise God's holy name with heartfelt thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, and will also give us all things with him. few announcements for you guys before we go. So um, if you're new with us, there's connect cards in your seat backs. Um, that's a great way if you want somebody to reach out to you. We'd love to take you to coffee or lunch to get to know you better. You can write your name and email or phone number on that. And also you can check if you're 
want to know more information about certain things, um, we'd love to follow up with you and just get to know you better. Um, you can fill those out and drop them at the Next Steps desk in the lobby on your way out. Um, yeah, we look forward to getting to know you guys. Tonight, we have a film forum at 5 o'clock. So film forum is just us watching a movie together with popcorn and candy and then talking about uh, ways we see the themes of what we've been discussing this year showing up in that movie. So we're watching Encanto tonight, 5 o'clock, um, in the Fellowship Hall. So uh, please join us for that. And then we're serving in the Family Room this Tuesday night. Family Room is one of the organizations we're partnered with. Um, so if you're interested in going this Tuesday, see Dan Strayer. Is Dan Strayer in here? Um, he's not here. See, so email anybody on the back of your sheet here. Uh, we, can, we can get you connected with him uh, so you can join us for serving with them Tuesday night. Um, thirdly, so we have another seminar coming up. So we had a seminar um, not long ago on uh, God's Word, and, and it's the trustworthiness that we can look to it as our textbook of Shalom. Shalom is what, what is the best life, life as it was meant to be. Um, we look to God's Word for that. This time we're talking about, still talking about our, our yearly theme, Cultivating Shalom, um, but we're looking at it in terms of men and women uh, and serving together in the church. So we're trying to touch with these seminars on, on topics that we know people are wrestling with. And so we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about how men and women are to serve together in the church. But then also hear, part of it is hearing your experiences and what that's been like for you at our church or past churches. And also us kind of discerning together how to um, better improve Shalom um, in our midst through those dynamics. Um, so we'd love to have you uh, join us for that. This Sunday, August 6th at 5.30. So it'll be 5.30 to 7.30, um, August 6th. And there's food and child care provided for that. Um, we'll have dinner first. And, uh, but but uh, please sign up, register, um, especially if you're bringing kids or wanting to eat the food. Um, please register before you come. Um, and then lastly, uh, we have a announcement from Michael. Yeah. Okay, quick announcement. Um, something about next Sunday. <clears throat> as, you may, as you know, if you're part of our congregation, but if you're visiting with us, um, we're in the midst of a, or the early stages of a pastor search. And so um, we're actually really excited about something regarding the pastor search and sort of our um, leadership structure here at Hope. And so next Sunday, we're hoping to talk a little bit about this, and yet we really want to get some feedback from you. Um, so right after the worship service next week, we'll actually end just a few minutes early, um, have a brief announcement, a little bit of time to chat, um, and then some time in the following days to kind of have more conversation. And so it's not a congregational meeting. There's not a vote. It's really the start of a, a little bit of a dialogue. And so we hope that you can be there. If you can't, like if you know already that you're out of town next weekend, don't worry. Uh, we're going to send out just an email like recapping what we talked about um, right afterwards. So please make plans to be here if you can. We're really excited about um, just talking about this stuff. All right. And then uh, our blessing and sending. May the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.